Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Breaking the Wall podcast for part two with my interview with Jen Passios. Uh, if you were loving that first episode and all the insight she had to give, you are going to love this one just as much, if not more. We are talking all things grant writing. So whether you are someone who is already looking to write grants or it's something you want to learn more about, this episode is going to give all that great info, tools, and knowledge to you. So without further ado, here is part two with Jen Passios. to some grant writing. Um, I know you're an incredible grant writer. We talked that you work with Omar, um, who was on the podcast uh, a few months ago. And I would love to just pick your brain for a minute, just on like how we can get started. But, you know, when you were speaking, something came to me, a question came to me. And I guess to start, do you think that everyone should be able to write grants or do you think it's better for, you know, if you're like, I'm not a writer, I don't think this is going to work. Let me just outsource. Um, I mean, I think of that just because as a teacher, I, I teach, I preach to people like, don't be a teacher if you don't like teaching, like you can learn to teach, but don't do it if you <laughs> hate it, you know? Um, so what is, what are your thoughts on that? I think that I fall in line with you that grant writing specifically is something that if it isn't your jam, I think it's great to outsource it. I think anything that is part of your career path, if it isn't something that you thrive in, that if you can get the help, that it will it will help you soar that much more. Um, I also would say that grant writing is an option. It's not the option for people who are seeking funding. It's a really competitive pool. It's a lot of people competing for the same things. And again, in a field that's so much about relationship building, the people that if we're looking about sustainability, whether it's financial sustainability or just people to lift you up and maybe give you non-monetary uh, non-monetary resources then looking to the people that are already connected to you and starting to deepen business relationships in addition to personal relationships so while as somebody who writes and got my start writing again kind of by accident i would say dabble and just see because you might find out you're really good at it or that you really like it and it's going to be a practice in writing no matter what, because in any grant application or most grant applications, you're going to have to provide a bio. You're going to have to provide your story about a project that you're wanting to do. You're going to have to provide a budget. You're going to have to tell people why it is that you do what you do. And in a Q&A, you're going to have to do that. In a situation where you're going to be presented you're going to have to do that. If you get a residency and you need additional funding, you might need to prevent uh, provide a, a deck for people to see slides on your business plan and what it is that you hope to create. So I would say that trying the skill, even if you don't end up in grant writing, is going to be hugely beneficial 
to many of the things that you do as an artist. And even though I work mainly with, when I do full service, I only do full service for companies, but when I do one-on-one consulting for individual artists, that is what I tell them is that I'm not necessarily going to teach you how to write a grant. I'm going to teach you how to talk about your work in the broader context. And it's going to serve you so much farther than any single grant application possibly could. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great advice, especially like for the part that resonated for me, at least is I always try to tell the people I coach like to get things ready before you need them. So even if you're not looking to be a grant writer, like having like a, having a good bio just on hand or having like, you know, information about why you'd like to create work, all of that is going to be so useful. Are there things that you think, uh, I guess while we're on the topic, what are the other things you think people should kind of gather even before they start trying to apply for grants, write grants? Like what are some good um, materials to have? So materials come from soul searching a little bit. And I think (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we can't have a material until we encounter ourselves. Mm -hmm. So taking the time to again, lay out a little bit of what your priorities are and what you care about will help color how you're writing different things. So when you write your bio, sure, you're going to have some of your accolades in it, but it also serves, it's going to tell people, it's going to show people rather than tell people something about you. So you read off the first line of my bio and I crafted it that way for a couple of different reasons. And I think it gives a little bit about personality, but it also gives some feelings about like how I might choose to order my priorities or what, you know, what type of spirit for lack of a better term, what kind of spirit resonates with me. Um, so yeah, getting, getting some time to encounter yourself. So in doing that, I think that'll help us get a bio, which is something that everybody's going to want to have and multiple bios bios are like your little, like you could think of your bio as a comp project where you have a bunch of different bios for different things. I have at least 10 of them for different scenarios. So some of them have been for teaching. Some of them have been for performance. Some of them have been for improvised things specifically. I worked for a company for a little while that um, names things. So we name products and businesses. And I had a different bio that was for that entirely. So being able to play with that and just pick and choose things. I think that having a CV and a resume can help support those and you will need those for different different jobs. So a CV is going to be your list of everything you've ever done, um, unless you're in Europe, in which case your CV is your resume, but that's, you know, it is a confusing plot point. Yeah. It, is, yeah. it is a little bit confusing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then from that CV, which is a pain in the butt to compile the first time, but once you've compiled it, it's so useful. You can pull out the different things that matter on different resumes and Everything is about context. So your bio is going to be in context. Your resume is going to be in context. So if I'm going to apply for a commercial job with a sneaker company, I'm going to have different things on my bio than if I'm going in for a rep audition. Um, they're, They're going to look different. So those things... I think an artist statement is really great. You don't need to be a choreographer to have one, but you could be a choreographer. There's a book that's called How to Write About Contemporary Art, and it's about visual art. And it has a chapter in the end that's really short about artist statements. And it's the best section on artist statements that I've ever read. Because it right off the bat, no 
no, no joking, all sass. It's like the second that you're like, I make corporeal works inspired by the diversity of my community. And then you just go on with a bunch of like vague words that don't mean anything. Nobody cares. But if you start telling your story, you're going to be able to show what it is that you actually care about as an artist. So I think artist statement is great. Um, Video samples, if you're making choreography or if you're a dancer, those can be really great. It depends again on what section of your, your dance life that you're in. Um, I like having a lot of photos just because they're good memories. And I know that you can post photos in a lot of places. Like if you're somebody who advertises yourself on social media, I know a lot of companies do look at social media now. So being able to curate your social media with that awareness and also just being a responsible user of the internet, I think is a good thing to do. Um, But yeah, having, I I like to think about all my materials as just like things that I care about in general. Mm. So it doesn't have to be something that I present these things and they get me a job. It can just be like, look at this awesome, awesome archive of like all of these places I've been able to go and the people I've been able to do it with. Um, I tell my students a lot that, in my last couple of years of college and first couple of years out of school, I went to so many auditions and I came with my, you know, eight by 10 headshot with a resume that fit on the back. And I wore my leotard and I wore my hair up and I did all of those things. And like, sometimes I got hired ish and sometimes I didn't. And then the biggest job I ever got hired for, I came, I decided I was going to do it the day beforehand. I came in without a resume. I came in without a headshot and I was wearing purple, like lavender colored Capri Adidas pants and a velvet cheetah print tank top and jazz sneakers. And I got hired. So just like love, love yourself and come in and just treat, I think just treating all of your materials as an act of appreciation and different people are going to need different materials. But I think that those those few things are going to be part of what is able to convey to somebody else the story of who you are, what you care about, and how you operate. Ah, it's such a good message in terms of how to keep things fluid. I think we want to come in and be like, this is this is my resume. But when I think back and when I've done things like that or I've made my bio, there's never a time I send my bio to someone without like tweaking something Mm -hmm. you know I'm always going back and being like there's a better line and then you know the next week I send to someone else this is different now you know so having the mindset to keep all of those things fluid um, not only is needed for different projects but also just keeps it fun and interactive for us Mm -hmm. (laughs) as people who have to do like like when I think of grant writing it sounds exhausting to me (laughs) and like terrifying and just like very and almost stale but the way you explain it is so beautiful. So I thank you for that. Um, I was wondering maybe if you could enlighten us on any major don'ts. So any big mistakes you you see when you're com- when working with students or um, you know something that people feel are important and maybe not so important when focusing. What are like the big do nots? Yeah. So. Definitely make sure that you answer all of the questions that that can be a simple, it's so simple, but I think that we can often get derailed into flowery language about our process or about what's happening. And it doesn't actually answer the question and convoluted language and getting, getting off track is 
really challenging because we might not know that that's an issue, but that could disqualify you because people don't know what it is that you want. Um, being, being direct while still being able to tell a story is one of the trademarks, I, I think personally, of a really good grant because it gives the heart of what it is that you're doing while also being able to give the ask. Um, and then going back to the opportunity cloud and things coming at you all of the time, some grants will look really sexy because the pockets of money are large. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you should spend your time on that or that you qualify. So I think the biggest don't from me would be don't take a grant. Don't start applying for the grant just because the money looks good or just because the opportunity looks good because you only have, you know, a limited amount of time and whether in your day and whether you are using, you know, the services of somebody who's writing so that you can be in the studio more time making your art and excelling in the part that you want to be in or whether you are your own admin your your time matters and your boundaries matter and if you don't if you don't protect those it doesn't have to be like a precious thing but doing doing everything is going to pull you farther away from being excellent at the things that are going to help you most so if my my biggest thing that i try to tell people and I'll tell clients this too. Sometimes they'll send me a thing and they'll be like, look at this really great grant. And I'll be like, this isn't, I- I'm telling you this right now. You do not want to spend your money on me to write this grant. And I, it's really nice to have that knowledge of the investment too. And me being able to say like, Hey, you might spend, I don't know, 200, 400, whatever dollars on having me write this grant. And I'm telling you right now that the project that you are working on is not going to be best suited to this. So you can, and it's harder to see that investment, I think, when it's your own time and it doesn't have a dollar amount attached to it. But when when that is actually attached to it or when somebody else is doing the work for you, whether it is attached that way or not, um, finding, taking the time and care to, again, tie your mission, vision, values as a person to the funding sources and being able to say, okay, so this, this grant looks like it's might be really good, but I don't fit most of the parameters. And I also want to spend time investing in this one-on-one relationship with a professional or with a professional, with another donor. So my personal and professional relationship with this person is going to be better for me, for our organization, for my mental health, for whatever, um, and choosing rather than prioritizing or trying to prioritize more than one thing. I had a friend recently who sent me a voice memo and she was talking about the book Essentialism, which I haven't read yet, but she has. And she was saying that one of the things that stuck with her from that book was that You can have a priority, but in one moment, you cannot have priorities. So you do have to actually pick one because realistically, like you can only do one thing at a time. Um, Yeah. So, so those are very basic don'ts and I'm sure that more people will figure out things as they go. Um, I think a lot of it isn't necessarily so much a don't, but knowing some of the some of the loopholes or the things that you might have to catch. So for example, 
Um, if you are in a form of dance and you're applying for either a choreography or a performance grant and your form of dance isn't one that gets videoed frequently because maybe it's not part of your dance form to video, or maybe it's not part of your dance form to have high quality video. And it, and the application asks for high quality video. Somewhere in your explanation or even in the video description, you can say in honoring this dance form, we don't have high quality video or in this dance form, there has not been a lot of respect at the institutional level. So we don't have access to the equipment to get the high quality video that you're asking for. So being able to find those spots that are maybe sticky and might be an issue in the, in the grants that do align really well and using them as opportunities to, um, either teach somebody something new, if that's something you care about or advocate for your form or just, you know, stand, stand for what it is that you say. And grants aren't necessarily all about being pleasing all the time. I think that sometimes they're about standing for something. And that's one of the things I love about the clients that I work with is that I can go into a question where it asks about demographics and very bluntly write, I don't make dances about my identity, but I often get opportunities because the value of how I look outweighs the quality of my dancing. And with me, that's absolutely not okay. Or to say, hey, I noticed on this application that there is a chart that asked me to list the sexual orientation one by one of everybody in my organization. That's not okay. Like that disclosure isn't okay. And no matter how how fun you want to be in winning the woke olympics that doesn't actually do anything for the dancers who are spending their their time trying to get you know funding so being able to see where your priorities line up can manifest in a bunch of different ways and it can get really creative in the questions which is one of the things i love about writing is like being able to help people tell their story in a way that even if they don't get the grant because I can't guarantee that they're going to get funded. I'm not the be all end all decider by any means, but being able to say something that is about them and where they stand is really, it's, it's an honor for me to get to put the words to that, to get that shared with other people. I, I love that. That's what, how, that this is, this is where this conversation has gone um, I think what you do for other people is incredible, but I also think you, what this does is it empowers people to, to define what they do, right. And to become clear, which is, I think our goal as artists, like we want to be clear about what we want. We want to be intentional. And I guess just to wrap up, you know, grant, right. Kind of encompassing everything we've been talking about today. Um, Maybe you could offer any exercises that you might recommend for people to be get specific like that. Like, what could we do, you know, in five minutes in the morning or, you know, this for a week long or a month long just to get better at, you know, talking about this, writing about this, about ourselves. What do you uh, what would you recommend? Oh, I've got so many of them. This is great. Um, I would say that for people who are a little bit shyer about writing or maybe 
feel a little bit distant from it, that one of the things that you can do is turn to other mediums that you love in order to start generating things that are written materials. So if you are a choreographer and that is somewhere that you thrive, what are the processes you use in making choreography? You can use those exact same things with words. It's just coming out as different materials. Um, If you're somebody who uses social media a lot, try to answer a grant application and answer each of the questions in 10 emojis or less and then write the stories of the emojis afterwards. Um, You can write it in imaginary hashtags. You can write your, try to write your bio in the length of a tweet. It's amazing when character counts and word counts come in, how concise we have to be. Um, I think that that can be really great. And then one exercise that I love and would love to share with your audience is starting to define what community means for you. And you can do this for a lot of the bigger, vaguer words that people throw out. And it could mean a lot of anything, but I think so often in a grant application where it says, who are your audience members or who is your community and who are you hoping to bring in? We get stuck in two things. The first one is, oh my gosh, I need to make art for everybody and say that I make art for everybody. You don't. Um, Saying, expressing a niche isn't exclusionary necessarily, It is saying who you make things for, and that might attract other people into what it is that you're doing because they care about the people who your work is for, or they they want to learn more about this thing that you're stating, or you're so specific and they don't have a clue what that means. So different people can come in. So I would say not be afraid to be specific um, in terms of community. And then in getting specific, I think we often think of the way that this is worded is that we have to be leading our community from the top and everybody else's people that we bring in, as opposed to it being, we are a part of this larger web that is our community. So what if you were looking at it, if, you know, we, we exist in our own spheres and our own bodies. So if I look at it from myself in the middle, who else is attached to me at all different angles? Who are my mentors? Who are my advisors? Who are my friends? Who is my family? Who do I want to come to the show? And being able to name those people and then maybe see some of their commonalities. So I would challenge people to actually make a community web and see who by name is in your community, instead of just saying that, you know, I I make work for diverse communities, that doesn't mean anything to me, or even saying like, I make work for college age women, that's getting a little bit closer. But if I know, but I'll take my mom, for example, if I were to make work for Deborah Passios, if I make work for my mom, I make work for somebody who fought for women's rights in the 70s. I make work for somebody who found another creative love in their career when she retired. I make work for somebody who's an educator. I make work for somebody who cares about the rights of women and girls. Maybe I make work for parents. Maybe I make work and being able to look at the people who are around you that you know by name and that you care about coming to see your shows and then maybe looking to see who's unnamed from there and if you need broader categories but that that's an exercise that I really love is being able to take that because you can extrapolate that to so many different things like you can 
have a contact list of people. You can find their commonalities. You can write thank you notes. Like there's so many things that you can do with that exercise, but that's something that I challenge people to do starting with the word community and then maybe going into other words that are vague, but are thrown around as jargon that have started to not mean anything because they're just vague words that have been thrown around. Wow. This is great. I, I'm leaving this conversation very inspired and very lucky that I get to talk to you. So thank you for spending this time with me and giving all this information to the listeners. I know it's going to be more than enough useful information uh, to get them going. But um, where can everyone find you? What can How can they connect with you? Uh, just either to say hello or to, you know work with you, where can they find you? Sure. So I am on Instagram at nongenue, N-O-N-J-E-N-U-E. Or you can send me an email through Gmail. It's Jennifer Passios, P-A-S-S-I-O-S at gmail.com. I'm very friendly. I will answer you. So please don't like, don't be concerned if we don't know each other. I'm not worried about that at all. Um, I, I love to point people in the directions that are going to best support them. So if you're in either of those places, if you're around the SAM campus and listening to this, you'll probably see me a whole bunch. Um, yeah, I, those are, those are the best places to reach me at. That's great. And I'll put all this in the show notes so they'll be able to just click on the link and go directly to anywhere they need to. Fantastic. Uh, um, but thanks again. And until next time, bye everybody. Bye.